0: يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد فان ابداق حديث كتاب الله وخير الهجي حديث محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر أمور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار الله سبحانه وتعالى تلا سوره التوبة قل إن كان آباءكم وأبناءكم وإخوانكم وأزواجكم وعشيرتكم وأموال وتجارة تخشون وما ساكن ترضونها أحب إليكم من الله ورسوله وجهاد في سبيله فَتَرَبَّصُوا حتى يأتي الله بأمره. Tell them O Muhammad that if now in this verse Allah has put a condition and the answer to that condition in Arabic called shelf is called There is something there which is called the condition. And if that condition is met or not met, there will be another thing related to that condition. So Allah ta'ala has now put the condition. If O Muhammad asks them, if their fathers and their sons and their brothers and their wives and their family and their tribes and the money that they have amassed and hoarded up and the businesses whose loss they fear and the houses that they love, if all of these things, are more beloved to them than Allah and His Messenger, now comes the answer to this condition. Then tell them to wait until the punishment of Allah. comes. So the condition is, if they love their world, if they love their family, if they love their wives and their children and their property and their money and their houses, then, If they love these more than Allah and His Messenger and to do jihad in the way of Allah, then let them wait wait until the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes. In other words, these are the people who are entitled to the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because these are the ones who have done shirk with their love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That they have caused other objects to take the place, to take the highest place of their love. They have caused their worldly objects to be placed above the love of Allah and His Messenger. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes Prophet Muhammad in the Quran, that verily the Prophet is closer to the believers than their own selves. Yeah, the true believers, they feel that the Prophet is closer to them, they love the Prophet more than anything, even more than they love themselves. And this is shown in the narration of Umar that when he came to the Prophet and he said, Ya Rasulullah, I love you more than anything in this world except myself. So the Prophet told him, Not yet, يا in other words, there's still something wrong. So Umar radiallahu alayhi to himself. And he realized that in fact he loved the Prophet more than his own song. So he said, Ya Rasulullah, I love you more than anything in this world, including myself. So the Prophet said, Al-ana ya Umar, now oh Umar. In other words, now you have reached the level of Iman. And also the Prophet said, La yu'minu ahadukum. None of you believe. He has negated Iman. He has disqualified a person from believing. Hatta, until... Until three things are met, or excuse me, until one thing is met. He says, حَتَّى أَكُونَ أَحَبَّ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ وَالِيدِهِ وَوَلَدِهِ وَالنَّاسِ أَجْمَعِنِهِ None of you truly believes until he loves me, meaning the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, more than he loves his father, more than he loves his son, in fact more than he loves all of mankind. So none of, none of us truly believes until he has in his heart a love for the Prophet Muhammad وسلم. And to love the Prophet is a part of our iman. It is a part of our belief. Without it, a person is not a believer. Without it, a person is not a Muslim or a mu'min. The Prophet ﷺ said, Salatum man kun There are three characteristics. If somebody possesses them, wajad halawat al he will be able to taste the sweetness of iman in his own self. He will be able to taste for himself how sweet and how holy and how pure iman is. What are these three things? The first thing, أَن يَكُونَ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ That he loves Allah and his messenger more than he loves anything besides these things. This is the first of the three conditions. The second condition is that he loves a person only for the sake of Allah. In other words, he loves a Muslim brother. He doesn't love her for any worldly benefits. He doesn't love her for any fa'idah, for any benefit that he's gaining from it, except for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the third thing is that he hates to return to kufr, just like he hates to be thrown to the fire of hell. So these three things, and the first of them was to love Allah and His Messenger. These three things when a person possesses them, then and only then will he taste the sweetness of faith. Now like I stated last time, I cannot really envision and I cannot imagine that you will find any Muslim on the face of this earth, whether he be in the furthest of the lands of the east or the furthest of the lands of the west. I cannot imagine that a person says that he is a Muslim and yet he states that he does not love the Prophet This is something which comes with just saying, la ilaha lallahu alhamdulillah. And I cannot imagine that there will be any Muslim that can hear anything evil about the Prophet except that his blood will boil. Except that he will stand up and he will want to defend the Prophet ﷺ. Yet, despite this fact, despite this fact, if you look at us as a whole, if you look at the Muslim nation as a whole, you find that something is very, very wrong here. You find that, yes, it is true that they say that they love the Prophet ﷺ with their, with their tongues and their lips. Yet, they will deny that they do not love him. Yes, they will swear upon anything that they love the Prophet more than anything else that they that they possess. And it is easy to say so with the tongue, but when you look at their actions, when you see what they do, when you look at what their limbs perform throughout the day and throughout the night, you find that they are the furthest from the people in their love of the Prophet ﷺ. And if you were to ask one of them, if you were to ask one of them about the fear of the Prophet perhaps he could not even mention to you five or ten incidents of the Prophet's life. If you were to ask one of them to quote you ten hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, perhaps you would not even be able to do this. And yet, this same person, were you to ask him, were you to ask him the latest of the the pop track that are released and the top ten in them, he will know them backwards and forwards. If you were to ask him the latest result in a certain game or a certain cricket match or a certain basketball game, he will be able to describe to you in the utmost detail how every single point was scored. And how so and so did this to achieve this point. Yet you will not know the very steps that the Prophet took to achieve the, 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 success, the success that he achieved in this life. If you were to ask them the latest affairs that are going on in Hollywood, they will know it for you inside and out. Yet if you were to ask them the names of the prophets, why they would not be able to tell you this. So indeed something is wrong. It is true that we all claim to love the Prophet with our lips and our tongue. It is true that we expel the air from our lungs and we swear that we love the Prophet Yet when we look at our actions and when we look at ourselves, we find that really we are very far from this true love. So one of the ways, if not the primary way to increase our love for the Prophet <coughs> one of the ways is to learn a little bit about the Prophet As Allah says in the Qur'an, عَلَيْكَ مِنْ That this is how we recite to you, O Muhammad, the stories of the prophets of old. This is how we are going to make your heart firm in Iman. So now the stories, the qasas, the stories of the Prophets of old strengthen the Prophet's Iman. So what do you think the story of the Prophet Muhammad himself will do to our Iman? Don't you think that the story of the Prophet Muhammad will affirm our Iman even more? Of course it will. So therefore, it is very essential and it is very uh, wise for us especially as we're in the city of the Prophet Muhammad and and his houses are right in front of us, and uh, the grave where the Prophet was buried, and the whole history of, of, of Medina, the whole history of the Prophet ﷺ is within our very uh, grasp right now in Medina. I think it is very appropriate that we discuss certain actions and certain features of the Prophet's life. And of course it is not possible. It is not possible to do a comprehensive speech of this nature in half an hour, in half a month, even in half a year. The Prophet's life is beyond it. Uh, our limited tongues and our limited speech, but inshallah, some glimpses of what the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi went through, of what he did, and so on and so forth. Now, as all of you know, yani when the Prophet started out in Mecca, uh, the Mushrikeen of Mecca were the, were the ones to ridicule him the most, his own tribe and his, ho- his own family members. As Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala Himself stated in the Quran, We know, O Muhammad, we know that your heart is very constrained and loud and hurt by what they say to him. In other words, the Prophet felt very bad. He felt very constrained. He felt very yani, depressed because of the, the news that the Musrikin of Mecca would say about him. And they would say that he was a madman. They would say that he was possessed of jinn. They would say that he was wanting power and glory. In fact, they would even station people. They would hire people out and station them outside of Mecca. So that when new people, when new pilgrims came to Mecca, they would be warned, don't go to this madman. Don't go to this person possessed by jinn. So much was the hatred of him. That they would hire out these people to go and announce publicly. That the Prophet Muhammad was a madman. And to avoid him. He was a magician. A sorcerer. He was able to entrance people. So because of this the Prophet felt very depressed and very hurting. And not only this. Not only was the torture. Not only was it mental. It was also physical. Once as you know the Prophet Was praying to Allah in front of the, the Kaaba. And he was not harming anybody. He was doing his prayer alone to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he went into sajda, when he went into prostration, Abu Lahab stood May Allah's trust be upon him. And he said, Who amongst you? Who amongst you has the courage? Look how he said it. Who amongst you has the courage to go to. There was a place in Medina where the dead animal's carcass should be thrown. It was in the, the junkyard of Medina. To go to that place and to bring the body of a dead animal, the carcass, those the part that was not to be, meant to be eaten and to throw it upon the Prophet ﷺ so one of them stood up may Allah's curse be upon him and he went to that place which was outside of Medina and he came back and the Prophet ﷺ imagine how his worship of Allah ﷺ was he went this person all the way to the outskirts of Medina where this junkyard was and in today's time it is uh, where this gold market is actually uh, he went to this place and he brought it out and he came back to where uh, excuse me I do I'm sorry this is in Mecca the, that gold market is another place. Uh, the graveyard of Medina, uh, uh, the Junkrat of Medina, this is the of Mecca. Uh, he went to the junkyard of Mecca and he took the carcass and he brought it back. And the Prophet was still in Sajdah. And he carried it and it was obviously the anchors were falling down and the blood was falling out, and he threw this heavy thing upon the Prophet in Sajdah, upon his head. And it was so heavy because the Prophet was in Sajdah that he could not lift himself up. And so the Mushikid of Mecca, the, the riwayat ibn Hisham, the seal of ibn Hisham, it states that the Mushikir al Mecca laughed so much and so loud that they fell down on the floor, holding their hands to their stomachs and launching been done? And the Prophet remained in this state until one of them he had a little bit of mercy. And he ran to Fatima, who was a little girl of seven years old. And he ran to Fatima, the prophet's daughter, and he told her what they had done. So she ran crying from her house, saying, Ya Avitim, Oh my father, Oh my father and as the Prophet was finally got it, managed to get the intro off of him, and he stood up, and Fatima was wiping the blood from his face, from the, the animal, she, he said, Allahumma alayka bihaula." Oh Allah, I leave you to deal with them. And he, put, and he pointed to them, and he mentioned to them by name. And the narrator says, Wallahi, I saw all of them lying dead during the battle of Badr with their faces on the floor. Every single one of them that had done this. And during the battle of Uhud, during the battle of Uhud, when the Prophet ran up the mountain of Uhud, and you saw uh, the mountain of Uhud, when he ran up and he hit in a place, and when Uthba Ibn, Ibn Rabi'ah came forth and he threw his sword, right at the Prophet he threw his spear, such that it went through his cheek, and it damaged his bone, his, uh, his molar tooth, and it fell down. And the blood was smearing from his face, and he wiped it from his face, and he said, you know what he said at this time? You know what he said at this time? He said, how will Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala show mercy to a people who have done this to their path? he was worried that how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would forgive these people that have done this to him he did not not invoke Allah's curses upon them this time he did not say anything to them but he said how will Allah forgive people who have done this to their Prophet?" and during the incident of Ta'if and all of you know this incident during the incident of Ta'if when the Prophet after 5 or 10 years of Makkah 10 years uh, during da'wah in Makkah when he was not successful and during that year his wife Khadija, who was his soul, one of the most important supporters of his away. And his uncle Abu Talib also passed away, who, is, who supported him greatly even though he died as a disbeliever. And this is called the year of Al-Amal of, of, uh, uh, Am- Am- Al- the year of sorrow. Because this year uh, was the year when so many disasters occurred to the Prophet The death of his wife Khadija, the death of his uncle Abu Talib, the ones who used to protect him. So he decided now, when, there was no, when it seemed that there was no help for him in Mecca, he decided to walk to Taif. And I wish that when you go to Mecca, you, you will be able to see Qa'ith. Because Qa'ith, and if you were to go by car, straight up a mountain, it would take you like an hour or two. Snaking up the mountains by car. Imagine walking up in the desert, in that heat, up to the mountain of Qa'ith. Alone, with the intention only to give them back to people. So he went to Qa'ith. And he presented himself to the chieftains of Qa'ith. And do you know what they did? Do you know what they did, all of you? They ridiculed him to his face. They made fun of him to his face. They ridiculed him and they, and they cracked jokes at him. And not only that, not only that, when the Prophet Sallam turned away to go back to Mecca, they ordered the siblings, they ordered the, the little children of the village to go and stone him. To go and take stones and pelt the Prophet. Sallam. And they purposely chose the children. Why? So that to make the humiliation even more. They didn't send their young men. No. They sent their children to go do that. Look at the mentality of these people. So the Prophet Sallam was running away from them. So much so, that his sandals were soaked with blood because of this thing. Until finally he went outside the city and he sat down. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Angel Jibreel. And he said, Assalamu salamu alayka ya Rasulullah. As-salamu alayka ya Rasulullah. The so pastor, alaykum as ya Jibreel. Then Jibreel said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent me with the angel who is in charge of the mountain. And he has told me that he is now under your control. He has told me that the angel who is in charge of the mountains will do whatever you want him to do. So just command him, he is right here. To take the mountain of Ta'if and to turn it upside down upon their heads. What did the Prophet Sallallahu say? What did the Prophet Sallallahu say? His sandals were soaked with the blood of the people of Ta'if. He had just come running away from their stoning and their puking. He, he said, no. He said, No. Instead, I pray to Allah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses, even, th- even though they did not accept Islam, I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses their children to accept Islam and enter into Turquist, so that they may be safe from the fire of hell. And Wallahi, my brothers, I have been to Taib, And the very spot that the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that very spot is now a masjid where five times prayer occurs. The children of the people of Ta'ib accepted Islam. And today Ta'ib is... A city of Muslims, as we you know. In fact, during the Prophet's lifetime, it became a city of Muslims. Imagine if the Prophet Muhammad and he had every right to do that. He had every right to do that, and nothing would have been against him. The people threw him out of their city. They ridiculed him. They made fun of him. And they sent their children to stone him. Yet, because of his mercy, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا أَغْتَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا وَتَّلْنَاكَ Why did we send you? A mercy for the believers. And when the, when the Muslims came to the Prophet and they said, Ya Rasulullah, why don't you curse the mushrikeen? Why don't you curse them because of what the torture they're doing to us? He says, I have not been sent by the Prophet as a torture. I have not been sent as a cursor. I have been sent rahmatan lil'alameen. I have been sent as a mercy for all of mankind. This was the character of the Prophet Muhammad And this is why the Prophet said, as has been narrated in the tirmidhi, that I have been tortured in the way of Allah like no one else has been tortured. And I've been threatened in the path of Allah that no one else has been threatened. And once, the Prophet ﷺ was once what happened in his life. He said, once 30 days and nights passed. And I had nothing to eat. I had nothing to eat except what little bit of food that Bilal could store under his arm. And this occurred during the time when the people of Mecca boycotted the Muslims of Mecca. When they boycotted, boycotted them in a valley outside of Mecca. And they said, we're not going to send you even food and water until you reject your religion. So during this time, the Prophet and he said, he 30 days and nights passed, and I had nothing to eat except a little bit of food that Jirab could show, under his arms. SubhanAllah, this is the one whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظيمٍ From above the seven heavens, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, you, O Muhammad, are upon a very noble character. And the more we study the Prophet's seerah, the more we find his noble character. And there is much that can be said about the, the bravery and the, and the conduct of the Prophet. Once the people of Medina heard a sound in the middle of the night and they came out timidly of their houses, what is the sound that we heard? They did not know, was it an enemy attacking? Was it some jinns trying to frighten them? And you know what they found? As the people of Medina slowly came out of their houses, they found that the Prophet Muhammad had already heard the sound before them. He had ridden his horse, he had worn his armor, and he had his sword swinging by his arm. And he had already reached the place where the sound had come from. And he said, you have nothing to fear, you have nothing to fear. This was the bravery of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu الله عليه He was not like the other people who let the, uh, their, their followers go and do the work. Rather he had preceded them to this place, And he had already assured them that there was no, nothing to fear from this. How about the modesty of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri related that verily the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu الله عليه was more modest. Was more modest than a virgin behind your veil. And whenever he became am- angry we could see it from his face. We could just see it from his face when he became angry. And it is stated by Anas ibn Malik that any, any old lady or any child or any slave of Medina could come to the hand of the Prophet ﷺ and drag him to do their, their manual labor for them. They would have the nerve, they would have if you like the arrogance in our time to go to the leader of the Muslims, the leader of the, uh, uh, the Amir al Mu'mina of Islam, the Rasul, the Khatim al-Nabi'in, the one who Revelation is coming down to and they would hold him by their hands. And they would take him and do their manual labor for him. They didn't. They didn't have anything to worry about because they knew that the prophet would do it for them. This was his modesty. And Anas ibn Malik related that I served the prophet for ten years, for ten years, and not once did he get angry at me. Not once did he tell me, "Oh Anas, why did you do this?" Or, or, or "Oh Anas, why did you not do that?" This was his humble and his modesty. As for his generosity, as for his generosity. And as you know that the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu Was the most generous of all of mankind Ibn Abbas stated That كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم اجود الناس. That the Prophet sallallahu Was the most charitable The most generous of all people And during the month of Ramadan His generosity was like the strong wind He could not even compare to anything He just said it was like the strong wind Just like everything that you can imagine This was his generosity And as you know when the Prophet Passed away How much money did he have? Seven difference Nothing he had nothing in his household when he passed away. And Aisha radiallahu anha stated that two or three months would pass by. Two or three months would pass by. And not even one fire would be lit on our house to cook food. And so many days would pass by. And the Prophet would not have anything to eat. So then Aisha was asked, what did the Prophet live on? She said, "Dates and water. Date and water. This is what the Prophet who is who was the undisputed head of Arabia when he passed away. This is what the Prophet did. And you know what? When Umar radiallahu Anhu entered in upon the Prophet. And the Prophet was in a small room with no any furniture of their tongue. Except for a small coarse mat. And this mat does not exist anymore. It is made out of date palms, very hard, uh, the trunk of the date palms. It is very hard and it is crisscrossed shaped. So when the Prophet was lying on it and he turned to face Umar, the, the marks of that mat were left and you could see the crisscrosses from the mat upon the Prophet's back. And Umar radiyallahu anhu looked around the room and he could see nothing except this mat and a little small jug of water. So he could not help but cry. He could not help but cry when he saw the Prophet ﷺ in this state. So the Prophet said, Ya Umar, what is the matter with you? Why are you crying? Umar said, Ya Rasulullah, the leaders of Rome and Persia, even though they are so much more worse than you, yet look at what they have. Even though they commit shirk and kufr, yet look at what they have in this world. And you know what the Prophet said? He got angry at Umar. He got angry at Umar. And he said, O oh Umar, are you not happy? Are you not satisfied? Are you not content that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them this world and He has given us the Akhirah? Are you not happy that they have all that they want in this world and we have the Akhirah? This was the life of the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. How it was. And let us compare it to our own lives. And we ask Allah's forgiveness for our own lives when we compare them. And all of you know The incident. Which is in Sahih al-Bukhari. That once the Prophet ﷺ left his house and he met uh, Abu Bakr. And, he, uh, and, uh, and after a while both of them, they met Umar. And the Prophet ﷺ asked them, why, why have you gone out of your houses? They said, because we are hungry. We have nothing to eat at home. So we have come out of our houses. And Umar said the same thing. And you know what the Prophet ﷺ said? He said, the only reason I have left is because of the same thing. We have nothing to eat in our houses. This was the state of the Prophet Muhammad as Aisha said in, the, in the Sahih Bukhari, that not even two days, not even two days of the consecutive days of the Prophet's life, in which he ate wheat bread to his fill, wheat bread to his fill. No two days occurred one after the other in the whole of the Prophet's life in which he ate wheat bread, which is the coarsest, the worst form of bread, where he could eat this bread to his fill. Forget about meat and forget about yogurt and forget about. Uh, milk and all of this. We're talking about wheat bread, barley. The Prophet ﷺ, for two consecutive days of his life, he could not even have this to his face. This was the humbleness and the modesty of the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. As for the looks of the Prophet ﷺ, then all that you can and do not stop. Because even the looks of the Prophet were the most noble and the most, you know, uh, befitting and handsome. As, Amr, as, as Anas ﷺ, ﷺ stated, that I never in my life felt any velvet or any silk softer than the Prophet sallallahu hand and I never smelled any musk or any amber, any type of perfume that smells greater than the Prophet's sweat so Anas radiallahu anhu never even smelled anything softer than the Prophet's hand and he never smelled anything better than the Prophet's fragrance. and as it is known that the Sahaba they would know where the Prophet had walked in Medina because of his scent, because of his sweat of his sweat that used to be left and almost to name one of, one of the Sahabiyah she used to collect the Prophet's sweat in a little jar. So when the Prophet asked, why do you do this? She said that, Ya Rasulullah, we don't have anything that smells better than your sweat. We don't have any much or any perfume that smells better than your sweat. And Ahmad ibn al states, and this is a very beautiful hadith, and I wish yani, you could understand Arabic, but, uh, and obviously the translation uh, loses the whole beauty. But I will try my best to translate it in a good way. Amr ibn al-A'af, Amr ibn one of the most famous companions, he states that there was nothing that was more precious to me, there was nothing that was more beloved to me than to look at the Prophet Muhammad وسلم. Yani I couldn't even think of anything better to do or anything that was more pleasing to me than just to look at the Prophet's looks. And then he went on and he stated, and I could never, no matter how much I looked, satisfy my desire for looking at him. And then he, st- he stated, yes, yet if you were to ask me how the Prophet looked, I could not describe him to you. Because I was so I mean, so much in humbleness due to him that I, could, I would always have to lower my case. In other words, he would look and look down again. He would look and look down again. I mean, because of the respect that he felt for the Prophet because of that great uh, ilza or honor that he gave to the Prophet he could not even continually stare at him. Yet he, this was the thing that he wanted to do the most. So, Ahmad ibn al if you were to ask me to describe him how he looked, he looked like Qutbah And verily, if you go and, uh, to the ahadith and the riwayat to see how the Prophet looked, you find that the people narrating them, they are not the greatest Sahaba. They are not Abu Bakr or Umar or Uthman or Ali or the others. In fact, the one who narrated the looks of the Prophet in the most detail, she only saw the Prophet once. Why is that? Because the Sahaba, the ones who were close to the Prophet, they loved him so much. And they feared and they respected him so much that they could not even raise their heads in Prophet Even though this was the most beloved thing for them to do. to look at the Prophet ﷺ. And in the hadith which is Muttafaq Alayh, that uh, Jabir uh, ibn Samura stated, uh, or excuse me, yeah, ibn Samura stated, that one night I left my house. I left my house uh, and I saw that the Prophet was standing in a red cloak, in a red garment. And I looked up and I saw the full moon was shining. So I looked at the Prophet Muhammad And I looked at the full moon. And I looked at the Prophet Muhammad I looked at the full moon. And by Allah. And by Allah the Prophet Muhammad was more beautiful than the full moon. In the middle of the night. This Sahabi. This great Sahabi Jabir. He comes out. And he happens to be blessed with seeing the Prophet Muhammad And at the same time there was a full moon. The 15th of the month. And he was trying to decide which one is, was the more beautiful. And he said, By Allah, the Prophet Muhammad was more beautiful than the shining moon. And this is why, in one narration in Muslim, uh, the Prophet the said that when the Prophet smiled, when he smiled, the Sahabi said, As his face it became like the crescent of the moon. When he used to smile, the Sahabi said, We felt as if it was the crescent of the moon. And in Sahih Muslim, uh, the Sahabi described the Prophet ﷺ saying, That his words, his face, it was like the shining sun in the moon. This was the looks of the Prophet Muhammad And as Anas ibn Malik stated, Ma I have never seen anything, often, ever, him, more beautiful than him. Yani even in the looks of the Prophet he was the most general, the most handsome and the most noble in his looks. And there is much to talk about of the Prophet's life and of the details of his seerah. Yet even in the Prophet's death there are lessons to learn. Even in the Prophet's death there are so many lessons to learn. As you know the last few weeks of the Prophet he was afflicted with a very severe fever. And during this fever his uh, pain became so severe that he could not even go to the mosque and he could not even walk Rather, he had to be carried by two of his companions. And even during this last moment of his life he was still in a cheerful and good mood. So once he entered upon Aisha, and she was having her headache, and she said, وَأَصَى! Wa woe to my head! Oh, my head! Oh, my head! And the Prophet looked at her and smiled, and she said, لا يا عائشة! He said, لا يا عائشة! Rather, no, woe my head! In other words, trying to show her that my head is even more, yani hurting than yours. In other words, even during the last moments of the Prophet's life, he was cracking jokes, where he was, yani being like this with his wife. And, yani when when the last week of his life came and he could not even walk anymore look at his justness here as you know the pastor he would go every night and spend one night with one of his wives because this was, uh, يعne, was, was fair and just for them when he could not even walk he called all of the wives together and he asked their permission he asked their permission if they would let them stay in one of his wives house because he couldn't walk so look at even in this moment of his life his fairness and his equality that he went and he called uh, or he called them to ask their permission whether he could just uh, Stay in Aisha's house, and he didn't have to go to them. So they gave it. So they gave the permission to him. And then he ordered Abu, Abu Bakr to lead the prayers. So Abu Bakr was designated by the Prophet to lead the prayers uh, for the Muslims during the last few days of his life. And the second before the last day of his life, or the second before the last day, uh, the Prophet called for seven bags of water to be brought, and these seven bags were poured on top of him to lower his fever. So his fever was so severe that. Yani all of these bags of water had to be poured upon him. And then he ordered to be called into the masjid. He ordered to be carried into the masjid. So he sat down in the masjid. And he stated. And he ordered them to do jihad. Because at that time there was an army ready to go for jihad. So he exhorted them to do jihad. And he told them not to stay back. Even though he was in this state. And then he told them. That a servant of Allah. Has been given the choice between this world or the Akhirah. And he has chosen the Akhirah. And none of the sahaba understood that the servant that the Prophet ﷺ met was himself, except for Abu Bakr, for he started crying. Because he understood that the, the one whom the Prophet ﷺ was talking about was himself. And Umar when he said, we were wondering why Abu Bakr was crying at this point. Because it seemed like good news that one of the servants of Allah was given the choice between this type and the afra, and he chose the akhira. So it seemed like good news what Abu Bakr understood that the Prophet ﷺ meant, And then he went in uh, to, the, to Aisha's house. And during the day of his death, during the day of his death, the last day, uh, the last day that, that he wa passed away, uh, Allah wa left him with a little bit of energy. So he came out when Abu Bakr was, was leading the prayer. And it was probably one of the early morning prayers or Zuhr or one of these prayers. And he came out, and the Sahaba were in the prayer. So one day he saw the Prophet sallam, come out. All of the Sahaba, they raised the commotion during the prayer. And they clapped their hands, which is Allah, during the prayer. And Abu Bakr understood that the Prophet had come. Because there was no other reason that the Sahaba would be so happy except to see the Prophet recover from, their, from his fever. So Abu Bakr stepped up his back. Yet the Prophet ﷺ pushed him forward. And he sat down and he prayed behind Abu Bakr. And then, uh, yani they were so happy to see that the Prophet was recovered that even Abu Bakr, even Abu Bakr, he felt that now the Prophet is back to normal. So we asked permission. Ya Rasulullah, can I leave to visit my family? He had not even gone to visit his family for, And they were on the outskirts of Medina because of the Prophet's Hebrew. So the Prophet had allowed him to go visit his family. And then he went inside uh, to, the, to, the, to Aisha's house. And he lied down on Aisha's lap and he was on uh, her lap. And as Aisha says, as the Prophet died between my lap and my chest. In, in other words, he was lying here uh, on, her, on her lap. you know, And, and, and his fever became worse. And as he was lying on Aisha's lap, he had a, 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 a cloth with him which used to wet and wipe the sweat away. And he used to say, أَلَا إِنَّ لِلْمُّكِ Verily, death has its pain. In other words, so to you were his pain, that even he was saying, أَلَا إِنَّ لِلْمُّكِ Verily, death has its pain. Verily, death has its pain. And he was wiping the sweat away from his forehead and as he was lying on Aisha's lap. And then he went into a very small uh, coma, if you like, and he closed his eyes. And then Aisha heard him say, rafiq Al الْأَعْلَى that I choose the, the company of those who are higher, in other words, in heaven. And Aisha uh, recall the statement of the Prophet which which he had given before, that there is no prophet except that the angel of death comes to him and gives him a choice whether he wants to die or not. And then he makes the choice. So Aisha then realized that when I heard that, I knew that he had made the choice for, for the Hira. And at that point, the Prophet uh, spiritually, and he left his body. And the woman of the household started crying. And the news immediately spread in Medina. The news immediately spread in Medina that the Prophet Muhammad had died. And Umar came out brandishing his sword in the masjid, this very masjid that you are here. And he brandished his sword out loud. And he said, If there is any Muslim who dares claim that the Prophet is dead, I will chop his head off. If there is any Muslim who dares come to me with this news, I will chop his head off. Why was that? because he could not believe that the very prophet that had guided them out of the darkness of Shit of light of Turkey, he could not believe that the very one whom they had fought for had finally passed away. Out of his love for the Prophet Muhammad, he could not even imagine it. As the Sahaba in the time of Uhud, when the news spread that the Prophet had passed away, the Sahaba stood up and they said, Of what use is life? Why should we live when the Prophet has passed away? So, this group of Sahaba, they went out and they all died in the way of Allah. ﷻ. They could not imagine a life without the sun that was walking amongst them. They could not imagine the life without the one whom the moon, even the moon, eclipsed his, his light. They could not imagine. Living without the Prophet Muhammad So Ullah in his extreme love, he brandished his sword, and he said, Only the hypocrite say that the Prophet has died. Though he has not died, let anyone dare come to me and say that he has died. So Ul Bakr heard of the news away in his house. And he came running to the Prophet's house. And he lifted the curtain of Aisha, because Aisha was his daughter. And he saw Aisha crying, And he saw the body of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu covered up, his face was covered up. And he lifted the cover off of the Prophet's face, and he said how beautiful you are dead and alive. And he leant down and he kissed the Prophet's forehead. And he realized in his heart that Muhammadun illa Rasul, there is That Muhammad is only a messenger. Messengers have passed away before him. And he said تُتَّحَيِّرُ that How beautiful you are both in life and death. And he covered up the Prophet's face. And he went outside and he saw Umar brandishing his sword. And the only one the only one of the Sahaba who had the courage to tell Umar to be quiet with Abu Bakr, and he told Allah Risti ya Umar, calm down, O Umar." And he stood up on the minbar and he praised Allah and he sent him, and then he said that ever so powerful statement: "Man kana Muhammad, fa ina Muhammad kana Allah. Waman kana Allah, fa inna Allah la yamut. No, O Muslim. That Muhammad, that whoever used to worship Muhammad, then Muhammad is dead. But whoever used to worship Allah, then let him know that Allah is living and never died. And then he recited the verse. Muhammadun illa Rasul, And Muhammad is only a messenger. Many are the messengers that have gone before him. When he dies or is killed, are you going to turn back on your religion? And Umar radiallahu anhu said, it was as if somebody, it was as if somebody cut my feet from beneath me and I fell down. Because he realized, finally in his heart, that the Prophet Muhammad had passed away. O oh Muslims, O oh Muslims, know that to love the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, this is one of the requirements of our faith and our iman. And that any Muslim who does not have this love, he is not a true Muslim. And know, and this shows you the status of the Prophet. Know that if any person in an Islamic state curses the Prophet Muhammad his penalty is death with or without tawbah, it does not matter. If a person curses the Prophet Muhammad in, the, in, in an Islamic state, we're not talking about if you're in England or America, in an Islamic state, then his punishment is death. It doesn't matter if he repents or not. And his repentance is up to Allah. And this is not the case even if a person curses Allah or the angels or something, this is not his, his punishment. This is the fact for the Prophet Muhammad This is the love that the Muslim must feel for the Prophet Muhammad But the fact of the matter remains. What does it mean to love the Prophet Muhammad What is the definition of this love? What, is it, what, is, what do we mean when we say, yes, we love Allah's Messenger? Yes, He is, he is more beloved to us than our families than our wives and our children. What does this mean? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran Qul in kunsum Allah Ask them, O Muhammad If you truly love Allah Qul in kunsum Allah If you truly love Allah, what is the condition? فتسابعوني. follow me Yuhbidkum Allah, then Allah will love you You know what this ayah is called? This ayah is called the verse of the test The verse of the test Why? Because this verse tests Whether you really love Allah's Messenger Or not If you love Allah's Messenger, then follow His Sunnah this is what the verse is telling you. If you truly love Allah's Messenger, if you truly love Allah and His Messenger, what is the criterion for that? Follow Allah's Messenger. Then Allah will love you. This is the meaning of love, and this is where, like I said in the beginning of the lecture, all the, the Muslims they say that they love Allah's Messenger. You will not find any Muslim that, that says he doesn't love Allah's Messenger. Yet, what is different? Is the condition for that love? Is the criterion for that love? What does it mean when you say you love somebody? I asked you, I asked you, is it possible that you tell your wife that you love her? You tell your father that you love him? You tell your brother that you love him? Yet every second of the day you disobey his commandments? Is it possible that you claim that you love somebody and yet when he tells you to do something, you disobey? And when he tells you to do something, you disobey? And when he tells you to do something, you don't do it? Is this love? Tell me brothers, in what language is this definition of love? When Allah, when Allah says something, or when his messenger says something, and the Muslim ignores it, and he doesn't follow it, tell me in what language does this qualify as love? Yes, it is easy to say that we love Allah's messenger. Yes, it is easy to stand up one day of the year, and pretend that we're celebrating the Prophet's birthday, practicing these innovations, which Allah has not revealed anything for. Yet it is difficult. It is difficult to practice this love 24 hours a day. It is easy to call those, who say that Milad is an innovation. It is easy to call them the innovators. Whereas we ourselves, 24 hours of the day, 7 days of the week, we just obey the processes. And one day of the year, we think that now we're going to love Allah's Messenger by showing this false sense of love. Yet the true love comes when you show it day in and day out. Every week of the month, every month of the year. This is the love of Allah's Messenger. You show it in your actions. You show it in your aqidah. You show it in how you treat your wife. You show it in how you treat your family. You show it in how you treat your companions. This is the love of the Prophet Muhammad so to So this is the whole point now. What like I stated, yes, every Muslim loves Allah's Messenger or claims to love him, but the question arises then, who amongst us truly loves Allah's Messenger? And what are the rewards for this love? And with this, inshallah, we'll uh, conclude this topic with this very beautiful hadith. Uh, hadith of Prophet Muhammad. What are the rewards for this love? Once a Bedouin came to the Prophet and he said, uh, Ya Rasulullah, when is the day of judgment? When is the day of judgment? Tell me. So Allah's messenger, obviously Allah's messenger does not know the day of judgment. As Allah has, has said in the Quran, that nobody knows the day of judgment. So Allah's messenger responded back with a question. And he said, well you tell me, what have you prepared for the day of judgment? You know what this Bedouin, this innocent, this layman, this you know what he responded? Listen to this very carefully, O brothers and sisters. This Bedouin said... I have not prepared much in terms of fasting or in terms of prayer. If you look at my actions, I don't have that much. I can't boast that I fast two days of the month or two days of the week, ten days of the month. I can't boast that I pray to Hajj and everything. But, but I have a sincere love for Allah and His message in my heart. So what is, what did this Bedouin guy do? He told Allah's message. He was honest. He said, Ya Rasulullah, I don't have much fasting. I don't have much prayer. I don't have much in this actions. But in my heart, I truly love Allah and His Messenger. You know what Allah's Messenger responded? He said, you will be with those whom you love. You will be with those whom you love on the day of judgment." So we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses us. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants us a love of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Not a verbal love, but a true love. A love that comes from the heart. A love that this Bedouin had. That he could stand up in front of Allah's Messenger and tell him honestly, Ya Rasulullah, I don't have much. If you want to look at my Salah, if you want to look at my Siyam, if you want to look at my actions, I don't have much. But let me just tell you that I sincerely love Allah and His Messenger. We want this type of love that Allah and His Messenger knew that this Bedouin has this love. So he, they can respond back, you are with those whom you love. So we pray that Allah blesses us with the love of Allah's messenger and blesses us with the practicing of Allah's messenger's sunnah and blesses us with being with those whom we love. You know, most of us living in these Western countries, um, we're always surrounded by the the Quran with them. What do you suggest that we can do? to this love us. The brother asked a very, very important and a very beautiful question. Uh, what he, he said, how can we increase this love for Allah's messenger? How can we increase our love for Allah's messenger? And there are a number of ways of increasing the love of Allah's messenger. Firstly, firstly, you make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Because love is an action of the heart. And as, as Allah's messenger said, that the heart is between two of the fingers of the fingers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That yani, the heart is between Isba'ini min asabi'i ar-Rahman Between uh, two of the fingers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He turns them as he wishes So the first thing that you do Is you make a sincere And this is important A sincere dua in your heart Ya Allah Make me love Allah and His Messenger And the Prophet has a dua uh, Which is an authentic dua He stated Allahumma uh, inni thaluka hubbak Oh Allah I ask that idea of those who love you Or I ask your love uh, Allah وَحُبَّ مَنْ يُحِبُّكَ And the love of those whom you love وَحُبَّ إِلَىٰ And the love of those actions which bring you closer to your love. So Allah, the Prophet wasallam, even though he was the greatest of all the children of Adam, he prayed to Allah. He prayed to Allah to bless him with this type of love. So where are we then in comparison to the Prophet that we should think that we are above asking Allah for this type of love? No. The first thing is that we ask Allah subhanahu wa taala this type of dua. That, oh Allah, I ask you your love. And you cannot love Allah except that you love the Prophet automatically. That, oh Allah, asks ask you your love and the love of Allah of Allah's message. The second thing is that we read the Prophet's seerah. We read the Prophet's seerah. We read the Prophet's biography. And like I said the verse in the Qur'an, that the stories they have a great impact on us. And it's something which is human nature, and psychological even. And yani, the stories have a great impact on us. When we know what that Prophet ﷺ did, then this will, I yani, uh, cause us to increase...